Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. You know what it's for. It's for people interested in reinventing what education is. I'm Robin Cloud. Today, we're going to be discussing mainstream schools, one of our three types of schools that we discussed, traditional, mainstream, and progressive. And today, we're going to give you the clues to look for when you walk into a classroom and to see if the checklist for the mainstream school matches what you're seeing. So today we're going to talk about the learning environments, the classroom setup, the physical environment in the classroom of a mainstream school. I'm Robin Cloud, joined as always by Brendan, the checkered shirted O'Leary. How are you today, Brendan? I'm pretty fine, like a fine wine or a fine cheese, Rob. They call it the third teacher. The classroom environment, you mean? The third teacher? That's right. If you've got two teachers, I've heard it referred to as the second teacher. Your physical space, the way you set up the classroom, what's on the walls, etc., are the second teacher in the classroom. And before we get into all that, you and I have spent dozens of episodes trying to lay out our stall. We're trying to say that there are three types of school predominantly that are influencing what education looks like these days. And it's really crucial to have the distinctions between these three types of school if we wish to do any kind of like meaningful or sustained change or reinventing within the education world. And you and I, we've got an ongoing challenge between the two of us to do our best to sum up 50 plus episodes into a little tidy nutshell. So Brendan, in a nutshell, what is the reinventing education map or philosophy or framework? Rob, we all want the best education. Now, all schools have three main aims, building citizens, preparing people for work and individual development. There there may be others, but those are the three that we're centering on and we're saying they're vital to all types of schools. Currently out there in the world, there are three types of schools that we see mostly. They are the traditional, based on the value of security, And you'll see uh, duty and self-discipline, tradition and authority at the core of this type of school. Um, We have the mainstream school. These are the ones that you will mostly see the majority of schools these days fall into this category. They're based on the value of achievement. So you see a focus on meritocracy um, and measurable progress, goal setting and the likes. And then we have the progressive schools that are based on a value of inclusion. They center around deconstructing what education is in search of a meaning and in search of student empowerment. Now, there's not really any school that fully fits one of these models. Basically, you'll see a mixture of them all, but many schools at their core will lean towards one of these and these three value systems, this, the uh, security-based traditional, the achievement-based mainstream, and the inclusion-based progressive, they all have their own way of being and, and doing things. And uh, often, if you're from one of the systems, you might view one of the others as doing something wrong. But in truth, each value system has some things we want to keep. We call these the babies and the things we might do well without the bathwater. And as the old saying goes, we want to make sure as we throw at the bathwater, we keep those healthy babies to grow up into a a new fine generation. Uh, Here on Reinventing Education podcast, we're exploring an emerging fourth value system that is one of integration. Now, that integration value system seeks to take the strengths of each of the previous three values and kind of blend them or use them in context 
to better meet the needs of the individuals and the community. And we are calling this 21st century world that we live in a VUCA world of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. So rather than, any, rather than bring anything wholly new to the table, all it does have it does have elements that are unique, but really what it's doing is the integration value is trying to seek a flexible balance in those existing values and a way forward to an education system that truly is best for the hugely diverse needs of the students today. Now, one of the ways we've kind of analyzed schools is to break them up into eight aspects of education. We've got the beliefs and responses of the individuals, the shared community and culture, the observable actions and resources and the systems and environments. Some, uh, by looking at a school th through these eight elements, we can begin to see where their core values lie and how it actually plays out day to day. We're hoping that through an honest and open process, we can grow the strengths that we have within our schools and we can solve the problems that are holding us back. So here's the little tagline, Rob designed this. He spent a long time, so don't say anything bad about it. Join us as we put our beliefs into action and attempt to reinvent education. If you're willing to challenge me, I'm excited to try and do it in an even more concise, if possible, way next time. Yeah, so you highlighted the eight aspects that we are using to look at schools. One of those being the uh, environments. So those could be the physical or digital environments. And today we're emphasizing on the physical spaces. So when you walk into a classroom, we're essentially saying there are distinct things that you can see in the room that could distinguish a traditional classroom or learning space from a mainstream classroom learning space from a progressive classroom or learning space. So let's get into the idea of classroom layout and design or learning spaces as is becoming the more uh, common term to be to be used instead of classrooms. So if we were walking into a traditional classroom, what kinds of things might we see in the room? Well, depending on the country, there may be some kind of acknowledgement to the local religious traditions, but there would definitely be some kind of acknowledgement of the authority structures in the area. So this could include a flag of the country or the province, the state, uh, there might be a picture of royalty. If the country has royalty, there may be a picture of the president or the prime minister somewhere in the classroom or in the halls or in the front office. And as well, if there's a school motto or some kind of a statement, you're likely to see this somewhere in the room. Now, those kinds of things are being replaced in a mainstream school. It's not to say you couldn't see these things, but I would say it's less likely you will see those things in a mainstream achievement-oriented type of a classroom. In a traditional classroom, you're likely to see desks orderly tidied into rows, so a very traditional look. There's going to be some kind of a board, be it blackboard, green board, whiteboard, smart board, um, at the front of the room where the desks are facing and the teacher is up there. So that's the traditional one. Now let's contrast that with what we're talking about today, the more mainstream approach. So first of all, you're going to notice stuff on the walls, but no longer is it royalty or necessarily a flag, but pretty much everything that's going to be on that wall is going to be a tied to student achievement in some sort of way. So you might see mnemonics or some kind of conceptual tool or strategies to use 
alongside some of the more important information that is happening in the class. Uh, you're most likely going to see charts of some sort. Um, some of them might even be showing progress. So you might actually see like, you know, I, I experienced this when I taught in Ontario. Uh, it was anonymous, but every student had a spot on this one chart and we were tracking the student's development in their ability to make inferences when reading. And we showed where they started and then we were showing their progress. Now it was anonymous, so it's not like, oh, I can see Jimmy started at this mark and he's at this mark, but the students each had numbers and that was something. So again, the learning spaces are being used to, to uh, acknowledge the degree of achievement that students are experiencing. But what you're more likely to see are the things like anchor charts. So these could be centered around, you know, the key skills we're using. So if we are learning to make inferences or learning to infer when reading, we might list strategies or show examples of how we do that. What a good answer looks like might show the rubric or how we're going to assess these kinds of things. And very common in uh, British schools is this idea of the Walt and the Wilf. So the Walt, we are learning too. And then it will explicitly state the curriculum objective somewhere on the wall. So probably word for word from the curriculum, we'll see we are learning too. And then if the curriculum objective was something like, you know, infer an author's intention while reading a variety of texts, that's pasted up on the wall. It's something the teacher is referring to. It's something the students can see. It's full transparency of what's going on. And then the wilf is what, what I'm, looking, I'm for. looking for. I'm because the teachers. Yes. For it. But it could be your personal I as a student. But it's yes, it's what is the outcome? What are we going to see? And uh, that Wilf idea is basically what kind of evidence for student learning or what kind of evidence will I see if you have accomplished the Walt? We are learning to do this thing and here's what I'm looking for to know that you can do it. So again, you're going to see rubrics, how things will be marked. You might see checklists. You'll see examples, maybe even of like poorly done work, okay work, and then really good work so that students have that metacognition to see the comparison between them. And uh, finally, you know, you are still going to see some things that are just helpful resources. So maybe the names of shapes in a math class you might see a word wall up on the word on the board. And, you know, there's likely a lot more going on than just the words being up there. We've probably got some kind of phonics lesson tied into the words that are up there or some kind of use of those words. So I guess this is the one last thing I'd say about charts. Some of them will just go up on the wall and stay there, but some things like a word wall, for example, are going to be our resources that will be integrated back into the lesson where we don't just talk about something put up on the wall and then forget about it. You know, we are leaving our resources out on display on our walls and there are things we'll come back to in future lessons as well. So there's a little bit about what you might see around the room. Brennan, what about groupings. We're going to shift away from this idea of orderly desks in rows. What do we see as far as the layout in the classroom? As the kind of the methods of teaching move a little bit more towards discussion and collaboration and group work and differentiation to groups of students, we see the rows, the lecture style audience for rows becoming much more uh, kind of groups. So we'll see groups of four to six students kind of 
you know, clustered around a, a group of tables. And uh, often they're very varied. You can have different size of groups and these tables can move around for different lessons when you have bigger and smaller groups or move to the side of the room if you need other spaces. And you can even have little pods or spaces uh, outside of the classroom itself. Um, you know, there are some more open plan kind of rooms, although the, the kind of open plan school kind of leans more into what the progressive, but the idea of having a large number of spaces that you can use and utilize for the, I guess, more complex uses of the classroom that you begin to see in mainstream. And, you know, this allows teachers to work in small groups. It allows students to collaborate, as we've said. Sometimes those kind of groups are... Um, clustered around a specific use. So you will have a, a classroom libraries are very, very common these days, um, but also maybe a little music corner or a maker space or even a nature space. Uh, and as you get down into the younger grades, they'll have stations for water play and Lego and construction play. But those kind of play, those kind of could go all the way up through primary. I've often in grade two, three, and four classes had Lego and maker building spaces and even role play areas for kids. So this is kind of the use of the classroom above and beyond just a space for rows of desks to observe a teacher. You're now starting to utilize the space itself and to think about the groupings and how you can design. And I had to write something recently for a course I'm doing, and it was about um, you know comparing and contrasting uh, some common ways to lay out your class and there are actually benefits for the lecture style obviously if you're doing a lecture it's it's ideal for that but if you're working with groups of children who will be talking to each other and working on shared projects then having them being able to face each other and move around and then there's other variations like the horseshoe where you make kind of a u-shape in the in the classroom and that allows the teacher to move and work with individual groups but uh, children can still kind of work together so there, there are numerous variations but i think the key point is that we're starting to use the room and the furniture within it to allow us to do more have more scope in what we teach and how we work and one of the catchphrases i keep coming back to in the mainstream school is this desire to do things efficiently and effectively. And I think if you're coming at your classroom or approaching your classroom from a more mainstream mindset, you're thinking, well, what are all the opportunities here I have in my classroom? And how could I use this space more effectively? How could I use it more efficiently? And that's an ongoing inquiry. And you end up at a lot of these answers we're talking about, oh, it'd be more effective and more efficient if we had ability groupings. Oh, we could more effectively use this space if, you know, it's flexible between being a maker space and a nature space by just, you know, bringing out this one sheet or keeping things in boxes, that sort of thing. So I know this is, you've probably heard me say this 70 something times at this point, but if you're mainstream leaning, you're kind of running most things through the lens of how can I more effectively and efficiently use whatever it is. That tells us a lot about what we might see, but now how can we differentiate between the babies and the things we want to keep from this mainstream approach to the learning environment and at the bathwater, the things that maybe we want to leave behind? What are some of the babies, Rob? So the clear good things about this, we'll go back to where we started, the idea of the walls and the environment as a support to the teachers. So the walls and the environment are like the second or a third teacher in the room. 
and they are there as a resource. As well, you know, one of the new things that this brings in comparison to the traditional approach to the more standard rows and desks is actually being able to see individuals as having merit, as having different levels of ability and acknowledging that rather than ignoring it. So you're actually using the spacing or the resources such as desks in this case to set up groups that acknowledge people's merit. Now that could mean you put all of the higher ability students together, or it can simply mean, you know, you've got a mixed ability of groups, but you're acknowledging that in your setup and layout in the room. As far as the actual groupings go of desks or students, there can also be more flexibility in terms of differentiating um, how things are set up. So, you know, for some students, individual work might be the better way to differentiate their process. Whereas for others, working in small groups works better for them. And, you know, by, by having some of this flexibility, you're able to offer that in the classroom. And I don't think we've directly addressed this, but just looking back at my own classrooms layouts, when I've taught multiple subjects as a homeroom teacher, we might have one seating plan if it's English. We might have another seating plan when it's math class. So the idea is these groupings aren't necessarily fixed for all subjects. Even with the same students in the same physical classroom, these groupings and how the classroom is laid out and where you're sitting can change from subject to subject based on what your needs are. And what about using the actual space? So libraries and all this sort of stuff, Brendan? Well, just the idea that looking back, looking back at a traditional classroom that we said was pretty bare and really was just there as a functional way to allow the teacher to impart this information, the transmission kind of, of information. Once you start to play around with this kind of little box we've got and start to see that just having a more, taking more of the opportunities that are on offer can feed back into the learning and inspire the students and allow for a greater differentiation. Again, it doesn't push quite as far down the line as you'll see in progressive schools or an inquiry-based school where that's actually the learning itself. It's still, it's kind of things that you would use in free time or occasionally in lessons, but still having this room that is rich with things for people to be inspired by and to incorporate into their play it, it allows for more opportunities in learning. And that's really at the core of what the mainstream school is looking for. And so, yes, a maker space, a music corner, a classroom library. We used to have a, uh, like a, a kind of whiteboards around a kind of like floor level basically so kids can kind of sit on the ground and draw at places all around the room um yeah it's just using the space wisely using the space to really give kids more of a chance this idea of the maker space this is something that's come into its own recently and it's something that it seems like all the types of schools love but for different reasons so a traditional school likes the free unstructured time that's really good for kids. 
but you'll start to see these kind of maker spaces or tinker spaces. And we're actually in, in our school now, we're exploring what is called loose parts play, especially with the younger kids, but coming up into primary as well. I'm just having boxes and buckets full of different types of loose parts for kids to really play around with and basically use their imagination. And within a mainstream school, I think you'd see that the beginnings of becoming an engineer because a big part of the mainstream school is it's got one eye on the job market. You know, that's one of the things that you'll hear quickly from a, from a mainstream teacher. If you're not doing your work properly, they'll suddenly start to raise the notion that maybe you're not going to get that job that you want. Whereas a traditional teacher might be more on the moral side, but I think a mainstream teacher would, you'll hear it a lot. You probably heard it from your own teachers. If you don't knuckle down and study hard, you're not going to, you're not going to get that good job when you're older. So you, see you are going to close the door to opportunity yourself. Exactly. Shooting yourself in the foot. But this maker space that I've just designed and put in the classroom, this is going to inspire you to become an engineer. And maybe I can directly connect it to the curriculum. You know, we often have lessons in science where we'll use these parts and other subjects too. Um, but yeah, the classroom, and I'm just going to explain what I mean by the third teacher, because I haven't directly said yet, but uh, often we'll see classroom assistants or support teachers as the second teacher within the room. Now, um, if you're in a primary classroom, especially lower primary, you probably got quite a lot of classroom support. So there's often two adults in the room these days in mainstream schools. But um, yes, however you look at it, the classroom environment is an opportunity to expand what's possible inside this little box. So the great thing about the, the maker space, Rob, is a, a traditional teacher would see it as free and structured time that was good for the kids. A more mainstream teacher would see that it may even lead you to becoming an engineer, although it's indirectly connected to the curriculum, it's inspirational, and it could help you to achieve some goals. And then a more progressive educator might see it as the way to express your inner self and your self-directed uh, interests. So a win, 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 but for different reasons. And if anything, I think that's what we're, we're finding here more and more. Yeah, it's often possible that different approaches to school, and by approaches, I mean the traditional mainstream or progressive, actually do agree on some things, but they often agree on them for completely different reasons. And I think the makerspaces is a good example of that. So there we have the babies, the good stuff. We like what mainstream schools are bringing in terms of the classroom layout design and the learning spaces. Now, if we shift over to the bathwater or some of the issues, we, we often do this. We kind of take the traditional critique and the more progressive critique. I would say a progressive school you know, who values a lot more of this idea of inclusion and including the students' own interests and helping to build a self-directed plan towards learning, they're going to see everything that's happening in this mainstream classroom, even a very high functioning one, and still see that the underlying issue is that this is all being organized around really the teacher's needs or the demands of an external curriculum. And it's still being set up, even if the teacher is maybe a little bit less of a sage on the stage, it's still the teacher 
who's facilitating. It's the teacher who's kind of chairing the discussion. It is still very teacher centric um, in order for them to be able to offer the kinds of differentiation. And we say, why are we differentiating? Well, at the end of the day, it's not because of the student's choice. It's because of the demands of a curriculum, which trickle back to the demands of a larger educational system, governments, et cetera, these sorts of things. And it's not starting with what is most meaningful to the student. Traditional teachers, they're going to look in at this type of room, see these clusters of desks, see all this sort of stuff on the walls, different spaces, and likely, and you know, there is some valid criticism at times, if it's not a high-functioning um, mainstream classroom, that traditional teacher is going to see a loss of focus on the master, a loss of focus on the expertise of the teacher, a loss of focus on you know some of those skills that a really strong teacher as a leader, as a master in that master-apprentice relationship, we're going to see that loss of what that teacher can bring to the room because everything's getting filtered down and decentralized and mixed into so many smaller parts. And possibly in a lower-functioning mainstream class, just they will notice there's a lot more difficulties with controlling students' behavior. And this tends to come from a more low trust kind of mindset. And it, yeah, it just there are a lot more moving parts. And when there are more moving parts, there are more things that could go wrong. And you know what? At times, I know even I've re resorted to this, when things haven't been going so well in the class or student behavior, student focus are an issue, yeah, I've slipped back to using a traditional rose approach for a few lessons, and then we've worked our way back up to a more mainstream and, you know, occasionally peeking at a progressive approach. So there is some valid uh, points within that. Now, Brennan, let's come to the contentious issue of Pinterest between the two of us. One thing I don't think we've explicitly stated, but in mainstream schools, in the mainstream classroom, classroom layout looks pretty impressive at times. And this is something where Pinterest, Twinkle, other websites and resources like this have armed teachers with uh, a lot of beautiful aesthetic things that can support the learning, but definitely can certainly add to the overall layout and beauty of a classroom. What are some of the uh, bathwaters here, though? I mean, you can overdo it. You can have a classroom that is just a sensory bombardment where you walk in and every wall is filled and things hanging from the ceiling and just every inch is filled or centimeter in Britain. Every, every inch is filled with these, in theory, aids to learning. But two things happen. One, the overstimulation can lead to a lack of focus or just to you completely ignoring what's on the wall because it's hard to pick out what's important. And that goes to the same thing for like these displays that don't get changed. So a display that goes up, no matter how beautiful, within a few days, weeks, months, they're essentially just going to fade into the background. But teachers who use those wisely do keep bringing them back, as you said, into the lesson. So they'll have a word wall where they put words in context and they bring them back and they will use the wall as, like we said, uh, almost like a teacher. So they will actually make the, the stuff on the wall relevant to students. But yes, Pinterest 
is a wonderful resource that is a bottomless pit really for teachers who are looking to to get ideas but just be wary and especially if you have any special needs students you know i had a, a student who um had asperger's and essentially i was asked to put almost nothing on the walls we had to keep the walls as simple as possible for that very same reason the overstimulation and realistically in that year i it was a really good development for me to try and work out what is really important to go up on the walls if i only can put a few things up what's the stuff that's really going to be helpful and useful just to go back briefly to the idea of um, controlling classroom management using the layout of the classroom we i was working with a teacher quite a few years ago now but we had to go like all the way from what was a very open progressive kind of setup try the clusters of the groups of the mainstream and then eventually back into rows because the class we were dealing with and any number of other issues were so difficult to manage and to get you know kind of good quality teaching and learning happening that essentially we did over the course of a few weeks have to go from completely open to clusters to rows and yeah like you said we kind of build back up towards this more mainstream approach of allowing kids to to work together but you know if if that leads to uh, chaos and a lack of any teaching and learning happening you have to make that kind of compromise and this is i guess what we're saying about the integration developmental kind of value of you have to use the context that's right for the kids but if i go to go back to the idea of uh, overloading the classroom or the idea that in a mainstream school you have far more resources our resources cost money, especially some of the more expensive kind of furniture or kind of science kits and, and uh, role play centers and, and the likes. Um, a traditional school might see that as a waste of money and a waste of time in all of the preparation because the payoff isn't huge and it actually can distract from learning. Whereas a, a more progressive teacher may they may see benefits in that and, and, and a lot of use in it but they may also see that it's actually it's not getting to the it's not really changing the underlying function of the learning it's just it's kind of surface level interest it's not actually getting into the deep meaning of learning however when done well a well-stocked and well-resourced classroom can be really useful in mainstream uh, but we've got this kind of phenomenon going on that we've spoken about quite a few times on Twitter. It's hashtag clear the list. Have you been on any kind of Twitter education? So we, we've got, you know, uh, a, a fair few followers now on Twitter. And a lot of, uh, when I go on there, we see the clear the list. And essentially it's teachers who are uh, who are making Amazon wish lists and the likes and going on to Twitter to ask friends, colleagues, and you know, interesting person around the world to help them resource their classroom. Time, but money's tight in a lot of places, of course. And so you might get uh, the uh, you might get some resources for your classroom, but if you really want to stock the classroom, you you, you may have to go out into the world and um, 
try and make that happen. Now in a mainstream school, has an entrepreneurial spirit in many ways. So actually it's no bad thing. Kickstarter is very much, Kickstarter wouldn't have happened in the traditional school system, let's put it that way. Um, so for better or worse, and you know, we put it in the bathwater because I guess school, especially state schools being funded by the state, it's kind of a little bit of a, you know, it kind of seems a little bit strange that you would then have to go onto a social media platform to ask for people to help to resource your classroom. Yeah. And if we're asking like, so why are these people having to go there? It shows a huge problem within the school system itself, because I'm going to make a few inferences here, but it's kind of like the teacher knows that they are required to provide the differentiation. They are required to have a classroom that would have these kinds of things available for students to do these kinds of things. But then it seems like in most of these cases, they're then being asked to do this, but not being given the resources to do it. And it's sort of like the teachers are tasks, tasked with two things simultaneously, like, hey, deliver this high-functioning mainstream approach to your classroom with these resources and this classroom layout, and figure out how you're going to do that because we're not going to give you sufficient funds in order to be able to pull that off, but we're still expecting the outcomes from you. So you better figure that out because your job or your current role is on the line to do that, which is clearly unhealthy. I don't know what else you can call that to ask for this kind of a learning environment and then not provide the resources required for someone to be able to deliver that. I'm torn on whether I'm talking about how I feel about as needing to use, but then again, the mainstream school is about pushing. So I think even in many cases, even if the classrooms were well resourced, there would still be a, a desire to go and, you know, let's make it better. Let's see if we can, you know, mobilize the community. People want our schools to be better. They're happy to throw in, you know, a little bit of cash to make that happen. Um, so, you know, there is, there's a good case for it, but uh, realistically, somewhere deep down in my socialist soul wishes we just resourced our classrooms <laughs> properly and uh, put the money into education that will get us the system that we are, that we want and that we're asking for. All right. So we've discussed the physical environment. You step into a classroom. What are some of the indicators that you're in a mainstream classroom? Next episode, we're going to look at the teaching and learning model. So when a lesson is happening, we're going to give you the kind of checklist or the pointers, the indicators to look for to determine whether you're in a mainstream lesson or not, and do a little comparison of what a traditional or a progressive approach to the actual instruction looks like. Yes. One thing I'm going to throw in before we head out this evening is a, is a book called The Third Teacher. 79 ways you can use design to transform teaching and learning. And it, it's essentially a compendium of different classroom layout designs. It's pretty beautiful. I haven't seen it for a few years now, but um, yeah, it's worth looking at. There are some really fantastic ways to take advantage of your space in terms of the design itself, but also in terms of the areas that you use and, and then how you go about integrating them into 
teaching and learning. So yeah, thanks for listening and um, looking forward to digging even deeper into mainstream school culture and practices. Thanks, Brennan. Thanks, Rob.